Well, it's an honor to have you here, and uh, as we dive into this new series, Investigating Christ and kind of this case for Christ, uh, the idea of investigating something is really a lot like wrestling with something. How many of you have ever wrestled, maybe in high school, you wrestled with somebody in your life, you've wrestled, raise your hand. For the rest of you, you're kidding. Uh, Wrestling's a part of everything in life. If you hadn't physically wrestled with someone, I I do know this about you. You have wrestled with things. And, and growing up, maybe uh, it's, it's wrestling with, okay, who, who am I becoming? What, what's some of the things I want to give my life to? What's the kind of character that I want to be formed in me, the reputation I want to have? Maybe it's wrestling with grades or what kind of career path to go in. Maybe it's wrestling as a parent of, uh, of how are we going to parent? Like, your, your parents parented this way. My parents parented this way. We're going to, like, we have to do it now. And so, like, what's this going to be like? And how do we help our kids not, like, not be messed up? And, like, just how do we do all that? And there's wrestling with that. Maybe there's wrestling with career path choices and things that come in life where you've got to choose and, and make decisions, or maybe it's the biggie decisions of like, okay, do you buy this house? Do you buy this house? Do we not do that? And just whatever it may be, my hunch is somewhere along the line, you have wrestled with things. And maybe for some of you here, maybe tonight's your first night being back in church in a long time, or maybe for the first time, and you wrestled with even coming. And should I go? And I just want to tell you, you're courageous for coming. I think it's awesome. And I know wrestling in sometimes has a way of, of helping kind of weaken where we are and we feel like we're losing. But the reality is sometimes the most important things in life are worth wrestling about. They're worth investigating. They're worth kind of going through the hard work because of the benefit that comes at the end of it. And maybe you're here tonight and you would say, well, okay, preacher guy, I wrestle with faith, okay? I showed up and I'm here, or I've got some friends that wrestle with faith. In fact, sometimes we have uh, coffee at the office and a kind of question of faith comes up and, and I just know they instantly roll their eyes because they've got these hesitations. They've kind of keep faith at arm's length. And the truth is that that's true for a lot of people. Uh, the church doesn't help the matter sometimes. Sometimes the church is its own worst enemy because of some of the messages and the hypocrisy that, that goes out. And, and so I want to invite you, wherever you are in your faith journey, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, maybe you're kind of investigating a little bit, maybe you're really wrestling, that somewhere in these next four weeks, would you just do yourself a favor and lean in and wrestle with some of this stuff we're gonna look at? Because I think you'll be the one who benefits at the end of it. And so as we start this series, we're going to look, and, and if you don't know anything about this, uh, The Case for Christ is a book that Lee Strobel wrote. It sold over 14 million copies. Uh, there's uh, several other little offshoots of it, The Case for Faith, and a couple others uh, out here. But uh, Lee was an investigative reporter, kind of on the legal end of things, at the Chicago Tribune in the early 80s and uh, was aspiring and really kind of soaring up the charts in his job and there in his career. And somewhere along the line, his, uh, they had some family incidences, and uh, his wife became a believer and a follower of Jesus. And this threw them into a conundrum, because they were agnostics, they were atheists. 
And in fact, their little daughter, if you go see the movie, kind of talks about, well, what do we believe? And he says, we, we don't believe in anything. And he just talks about the reality of what he feels, sees, and touches, and, and what he can experience. And when his wife becomes a believer, this really throws him for a loop. And, and so much so, this animosity that we see, uh, and I highly recommend the movie. I saw it Friday, and I don't recommend Christian movies often. Um, but this one's really good. It's really well written. It's really well acted, um, and it's real. Like, it's authentic. You see their journey going through this. And for Lee, uh, where he got to was this idea of saying, no, as an as a atheist, I, I can't believe this. This is a fairy tale. This is mythology. This is something. I don't know why you've even getting into this. And there's this real fight that's going on. His wife's just trying to love well. And, and he goes on this search as a reporter to investigate the case for Christ. And so he spends the next year and a half or so flying around the country, going to different um, people to meet with them, specialists, and interview them for why is this Christian faith? And his whole purpose was to disprove Christianity and to prove it wrong once and for all and to be able to show his wife and everyone else who's been uh, hoodwinked into this that they were wrong. And it's a fascinating journey of watching him wrestle with the facts and the truth that he's presented with. In fact, I'm gonna show you a clip right here from the movie. And this is uh, pretty far into this journey for him. And he's been wrestling a lot with this and he's kind of stuck in a contemplative moment there at the office. And uh, Kenny London, who is the uh, religion editor of the paper and has been a friend of his for a little while, comes in and kind of notices this reflection going on. We'll see this and I'll, we'll pick up at the other end. So let's play. What are you doing here? I thought you were banished. <laughs> hey. What's the matter? You people and your God, you just, you know, you talk in circles. You offer, you offer just enough evidence, but never enough to be conclusive. Then you fill in all the gaps with, oh, well, yeah, you just got to have faith. It's a bunch of nonsense. You're really irritating, you know that? Don't start with me, Kenny. You don't waste a lick of time bragging to all of us how great a reporter you are. So why can't you put up or shut up on this story? What are you even talking about? Here's where the chili meets the cheese, my friend. One of my heroes was C.S. Lewis, a man who began as a skeptic, much like yourself. At the end of his journey, you know what he said? He said, if Christianity is false, of zero importance. But if it's true, there's nothing more important in the entire universe. So you want your wife back? Well, hey, guess what? People in hell want ice water. Not everybody gets everything they want. Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. Stack up the evidence, follow the facts, and write the story, win or lose. There's this tension, obviously, in the room um, for Lee, and uh, this is like early 80s. It looks like the 70s, doesn't it? But uh, it's the early 80s, which scared me for what I looked like then. Okay, so, um, but this is a real journey for him and for a lot of people. This idea of faith and this idea of the credibility of Christianity is not something they just take 
you know, wholeheartedly right away, and, and there's this journey that kind of goes with it. In fact, uh, I want us to look tonight in Acts chapter 8 of another person who's kind of on this spiritual journey uh, of figuring things out for themselves. And in Acts chapter 8, in fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If not, uh, if you go to version, the Bible app, click on events, Element City Church, you can follow along with all the notes there. Let me kind of set the scene a little bit. This is uh, Philip, one of the early disciples of Jesus, is sent uh, down to this deserted kind of desert road that's going from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he's there, and he's kind of waiting for the assignment. He was sent there. He doesn't know why he's there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit kind of says, hey, there's this chariot that's coming. You just kind of run up alongside the chariot and just kind of walk along, mosey along, and just listen. Okay, so he does that. What he doesn't know is that there's this Ethiopian eunuch that's in this chariot that's returning from a visit to Jerusalem, going back to where he's heading to, and he's in charge of the treasury, the whole kind of the, of the queen of Ethiopia. Okay, so Ethiopia, if you don't know much of the history of the church and much of the history of Christianity, it's early on uh, is filled with believers. And so we kind of go back to this moment before any of that happens, and Philip Longs kind of walks alongside, and he hears this uh, Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, if you don't know much about Isaiah chapter 53, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what we're going to remember Friday. It's all about the crucifixion. It's about Jesus giving his life. It's a messianic uh, prophecy of what was to come written hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up. And so this Ethiopian eunuch is reading this out loud. He's been to Jerusalem. What you don't know, maybe from the Jewish law, is that he would have gone to the temple and never even been allowed in because he was considered unclean. So he could be on the outskirts and he could be around, but he couldn't ever go into the temple. And there's something about the search that he's on. I don't know what got him to that search. I don't know why he decided to go on that physical journey and why he is where he is on his spiritual journey. But here's what I do know. God was active behind the scenes in his life for some time. There was something about what God was doing in his life that was drawing him to search and to investigate and to wrestle. And so here he is on this journey. And Philip, God brings Philip right alongside, and he hears this guy reading. And Philip asks him, do you understand what you're reading? I'm sure the man kind of peeking out from behind the curtain, like, who's talking to me? I'm <laughs> just riding along in my chariot 5.0. And so he's just got this, and he looks out, he hears Philip, do you understand what you read? Well, no, I don't. How can I unless someone explains it to me? Would you come up here and explain this to me? And so this encounter goes from this point. You can read on in Acts chapter 8. He is reading again from the prophet uh, Isaiah in chapter 53, and he's reading about this man, and it's a description. And he says to Philip, is this man writing about himself or about someone else? And in this incredible verse, Philip says, starting right there in Isaiah 53, he begins to tell him the good news of Jesus. It's this amazing moment that from the outskirts, we, we kind of see and we eavesdrop in and we kind of see it play out. But the reality is what we see about this Ethiopian eunuch was he was at a spiritual sticking point. And in a lot of ways, a lot of people get there. They, they get spiritually stuck in some ways. In fact, I want to look at three different ways tonight 
that people become stuck when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to faith, when it comes to figuring out the the viability and the credibility of of faith that maybe they're searching or they're wrestling with. The first one might be simply this, that I just can't believe it. That becomes their spiritual sticking point. I can't believe it. I've got to keep faith at an arm's length because I just see people of faith do really weird things at times, and it just doesn't make rational sense And so maybe for a person who's a a thinker, you know, a lawyer, a doctor, someone who's got a keen mind and they want to know everything about everything. Listen, I love bridges. I don't know how they work. But I've never sat down and said, you know what? I'm going to study a bridge. I just drive over them. If that makes me a person of faith, okay. But I never like, but some of you, you're like, well, the bridge works this way. Like, it's just, and you know, because you're an engineer at your heart, and the very core of who you are, it drives you to know. And so for some people, they get to the spiritual sticking point where they're like, I I just, I've got to know. I've got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt how things work. Maybe even for Lee, maybe that was part of his struggle, is I'm going to keep this at arm's length because I just don't understand. I can't believe because it seems to conflict with science, some folks say. Maybe a mother of a sick child says, I I just can't believe because what good God would permit some of the things that happen in our world? How could that play out? And yet some people, they thrive and they're evil. And I can't get there. Maybe for a lawyer, it's, I just used to dealing with evidence and facts and logic and I can't believe something that, that makes me accept something at some level at faith. Maybe it's a business person, and you've prayed for your business to succeed and to thrive, and yet it's just gone down the tubes, and you feel like God is distant and aloof, and you just can't get to the place of seeing faith in something that you'd want. And so you struggle with that. And so it becomes this sticking point. Maybe like uh, Thomas, remember? Jesus has come back from the dead, and Thomas, all the disciples are saying, you you're not going to believe this. Jesus is like risen again. And Thomas is like, no, 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 no. See, that doesn't happen ever. Uh, and so I'm not going to believe that until I can put my like, hands in his hands and in his side because I, was, I saw it. And, and you guys are just nonsensical right now. And Jesus comes back for Thomas. And he says to Thomas, blessed are you who believe, who see, but blessed are those who don't see and still believe. There's this tension, I think, that rises up in a lot of people where this becomes a sticking point for them. Uh, They struggle with it. But I love what Jeremiah 29 and 13 says this, you will seek me and you will find me. This is God talking. When you seek me with all of your heart. If this is your spiritual sticking point, or a spiritual sticking point of someone you know, could you just pray for them to turn a little bit in God's direction? Because I'm convinced they'll find eventually that God has always been turned in theirs. There's this challenge, I think, that that sometimes we don't want to wrestle with things long enough. And we want to give up because we just want to keep it. We don't understand it, and so we push it off. And for some of you, you may be there. Some of your friends may be there. Uh, Viggo Olsen was, uh, Dr. Olson 
was one of the earliest missionaries, he and his wife Joan, in Bangladesh. They established a hospital there to, to help, help start over 120 different churches long before Christianity actually even got to that region. What's fascinating about their story, you can look them up and read about it, is they were skeptics for a long time, early on in their life. In fact, they kept faith at a distance because they thought that science proved that Christianity was just mythology. There was no way it could be true. And so they just kind of lived their life as a skeptic and as an atheist, and, but they, they didn't quit and just said that's the end of it, period. Uh, they allowed there to be a little bit of a comma. And eventually, they allowed their curiosity to take them on a search of, hey, is this resurrection thing real? Is, is the story of Jesus, does it have validity to it? And they begin to have the search that can science actually begin to point? And the more they actually gave themselves to the truth of that and investigating that, they got to a place where they surrendered their life to Christ and said, this is the real deal. And then they prayed, God, uh, would you send us somewhere where there's no doctors and no Christians? And they were the first set of missionaries in Bangladesh starting over 100 different churches, healing and helping so many people in the name of Christ and ministering to them. Uh, different people that you can read in Lee Strobel's book. Uh, one is uh, James Tour, who is a head of nanoscience at Rice University, said this, I build molecules for a living. I can't begin to tell you how difficult that job is. I stand in awe of God because of what he's done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes anything away from faith. If you really study science and bring yourself, you'll actually find yourself growing closer to God. Dr. Olson wrote a book called The Agnostic Who Dared to Search, all about his wrestling faith of coming to a place of wholeheartedly giving himself over. That's really what's going on in this Ethiopian that Philip runs up on in this chariot is this is an honest search that started long before that journey. Something in his heart, God was it active and working behind the scenes. And for you sitting here, my hunch is you can think back over your past, whether you're a believer or not. Maybe if you are, you can think back over your past and begin to see how God was at work even before your, the light bulb came on for you. That he was at work in your life, drawing you to himself helping you even have the curiosity to want to search him out. And so my challenge to you is that if this is your sticking point, that you don't want, I can't believe, then what would it look like to just take the next four weeks, the next month, and just say, God, this makes no sense to me, but I'm, I'm actually gonna kind of maybe turn in your direction a little bit. Would you help me be aware if you're actually even facing my direction? And just pray that. My hunch is you might be surprised that the creator of the heavens and the earth actually knows your name and desires to have a relationship with you. Friends, that is what is all over the scriptures. That God wants to know you and to be known by you. Now, that may create all kinds of weird feelings in you. That's okay. Give yourself at least some space to consider. You owe it to yourself to wrestle, to settle it for yourself. And maybe a second sticking point is 
I don't want to believe. Okay. Um, all right, I'll give you, maybe I've done a little bit of research, maybe I've heard a little bit of things, I've studied the Bible maybe a little bit, but like, I don't want to believe because if I had to believe, then like my whole lifestyle would have to change. And you want to keep God at arm's length because you don't want your lifestyle to change. Now listen, you would probably never say that to someone. Someone would never like come up to you like, hey, do you want to know Jesus? And you're like, no, because then I have to change my lifestyle. Like that would be kind of weird and rude to say. Um, but you may be that way. You may have a sense of uh, a fear of intimacy or a fear of, of kind of giving someone else authority over your life. And, and so you would never say those words, but deep in your heart, you know the truth. That maybe one of the sticking points for you is, I, I don't want this to be true because then it would be like, I'd have to change and I like my life. Well, that's fair. Can I ask a different question then? <clears throat> Take where you're at and fast forward about five, 10, maybe even 20 years. Do you still like the trajectory of your life? Like if it was just you and me at, at coffee and we could really be honest and you could tell me about your life, would it really be all that rosy or are there some dark moments that you wish you didn't have to battle? Or are there some setbacks or hangups in life that you wish you had moved past a long time ago? I think sometimes, if we're honest, we want the control. That's really what we want. And we think that, that God is like this bully in the sky who wants to bully your life and make it worse. And friend, if that's the, the vantage point you have, then I think you've fallen for the oldest trick in the book. See, that's religion. And that's a religion where you have to, to work and make all the effort to try to make yourself good enough to be approved and accepted by a God. That is not Christianity. And that is not a relationship with Jesus. That's a religious system. And don't buy the lie that that's what the Bible talks about, because it doesn't. It, it talks very plainly about this person of Jesus. It's why Philip starts with Isaiah 53, and he shares about the good news of Jesus. Not a religion, but a person. A person who's come that we might have life with God through faith and trust in him, and what he did and what he accomplished, not what we do and what we try to accomplish. And that is the, that's the, that's the difference between a Christian faith and a religious pursuit. And so maybe could you just ask yourself this question? If God is a loving God, and I know there's questions with that sometimes too, and he really knows your name and he wants the best for you, would that all be a bad thing to kind of let your life be guided by him? With the trajectory of your life, with this possibility of beginning to understand and experience his guidance and his security, a clear conscience, a sense of adventure in life, an unending sense of forgiveness and fulfillment and relationship and comfort and peace of mind 
and love and release from guilt and the power to overcome some self-destructive habits, would that be a bad thing? Or might that be something that you actually long for? But you've been trying to carve out on your own and you're coming up empty. So just compare the trajectory of your life following your plan and maybe just speculate a little bit. Might it be a little different and maybe, maybe even a little better if I allowed my life to go in pursuit and aimed in God's direction and with his leadership? So maybe that's a sticking point that you need to face. I don't want to believe. Maybe a third one is this. <clears throat> Not this idea of, okay, I can't believe or I don't want to believe, but maybe this third one is, I, I don't know what to believe. You know, maybe you've been on a spiritual journey and you've got friends that have been telling you about Hinduism and about Buddhism and about uh, Judaism and about all these other isms and all this kind of stuff, and, and you've honestly been searching through a lot of it, and, and maybe even Christianity, and, and you've come to a place where maybe you started reading the Bible and you thought, okay, I'm going to start in Genesis because, like, that's the first book, and I'm going to start there, and you got somewhere to Leviticus, and you're like, I don't know what the heck's going on, and you just quit. Or maybe you've gone to some churches and you're like, hear one preacher guy or one preacher say this, and then you, you think about something else and you go, well, that can't be right, and this person says this is right, and, and you just get so confused and, and kind of confused in, in your mind and messed up in, in this idea of, I don't know what to believe, because it seems like I'm supposed to believe what the person in front of me is telling me, but I, I hear different things. And so you just kind of throw your hands up and go... I, I guess I don't want to know what to believe because I, I don't even know where to begin. And so you quit. And you kind of keep Christian faith and you keep faith at, at this distance, this healthy distance, because you're just confused by it. Uh, can I just remind you that as you read the Bible, don't read with your bias in mind. Just like you would read any article, any book, any newspaper article, what you're reading is to understand what the author's intent is. What are they trying to say? Can I just challenge you to read the scriptures that way? What was the intent of this author writing this to the people back then, and how does that translate to my life today? You'd read every article and every book you ever read with that intent, because that's the point, that you would come to understand because what you want is to know what the intent is. So I've got a daughter who's almost 16. Let's say I write a note to her. You need to be home at 11, okay? She's going out with her friends. They go uh, to this hangout place, and she's thinking about this note that she read before she left, and it's 10.45 at night. And uh, she's going, well, I don't know what my dad's intent was of that. He said, you. But you can be like a general you, you. He didn't use my name. He just said you. So maybe that's what he meant. That it was just kind of you, like a general you out there. Uh, uh, be home. I mean, home's interpreted. Like home is where your heart is, right? That's what people say. My heart's here right now. I'm home. Okay? Any fathers here? Do you know the intent of that note that I've written? Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe she's out and she thinks back to this note and says, well, it didn't say a.m. or p.m. It just said 11. 
And so I'm going to think that's 11 a.m. the next morning. And so maybe that's what my dad, in fact, he didn't even put like Eastern time zone, Pacific time zone. Like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's earlier in Hawaii right now. And so maybe that's what he's going for there. And so there's this challenge, this interpretation of going on of, of what was really meant and intended. That's why it's important to read whatever we read, to understand what the intent was, right? That's what brings the clarity that you need to make a healthy decision and to understand why this was included. Now listen, there are parts of the Bible that even as a seminary graduate that I wrestle with, that I go, okay, what's the correct interpretation of this? And theologians for years have had little debates for small things within the Bible. But there are many, 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 many things that have absolutely no ambiguity about them. For example, Jesus, speaking to his disciples one day, says, hey, who do people say I am, right? And people give these uh, things, and they kind of say, well, some think you're Elijah, some think you're all that kind of, and then he asks the question, but who do you say I am? Friend, I'm gonna tell you right now, that is the most powerful and the most necessary question for you to ever wrestle with on the face of this planet. Who do you not me, who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good humanitarian? Was he just a good miracle worker? Is he just a nice teacher? Nice teachers don't claim to be God. He did. So what do you do with that? What do you do with a humanitarian that witnesses said came back to life after his death? What, what do you do with that? Because there's major questions here, but that is not one that's ambiguous. That's like a clear, like you've got to wrestle with that. The Apostle Paul goes on, he writes this incredible book on theology in, to, the, to the Romans, and he makes a very clear statement in there. He says, look, for the wages of sin is death. That if you just live in your own sin, your own brokenness, it's going to lead to death, which is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's nothing fuzzy about that. Now, you may disagree with it, but there's nothing unclear about it. The intent is to get you to think. Do you buy that or do you not? In essence, friend, that's the gospel. That apart from a faith in Christ, we are left on our own, in our own brokenness. But Jesus came to make a way that we might have relationship and life with God through a trust relationship in him and what he did for you and what we're gonna celebrate this Friday and this next Sunday for Easter. That his crucifixion, what the penalty he took was not his penalty. He didn't have a penalty. It was yours, it was mine. It was for my brokenness, my mistakes, yours. That he went to the cross to say, you, through faith, can have a right relationship with the Holy God because of faith in Him. Just like you're sitting in that chair right now, you didn't sit down and go, man, I hope this chair holds me up. You just sat down. You put faith in the chair. That's what it means to put faith in Jesus. Uh, I, I love watching a gentleman that's been around here for the last few weeks, uh, came here probably two months ago, and, and seeing his faith journey. 
of these questions and trying to figure things out and wrestling with faith and the text messages he would send and the conversations we would have over that and, and finally to the place of texting the week before and says, I think I need to give my life to Jesus. And I was like, well, do you want to do that right now? No, no, I want to do it Sunday. Let's do it Sunday. I'm like, okay. Um, well, don't die before Sunday. And so, in <clears throat> Sunday, after the sermon, he comes down. He's like, let's do it. I'm like, okay. And then a couple weeks ago, seeing him get baptized. Baptism is just a picture of what you're doing, that you're trusting that the life of Jesus and, and his death and his resurrection is now counts for you. It's kind of like my wedding ring. It's this outward symbol of this inner decision that you've made, this pledge that you've given your life to. And to see him come up out of that water and realize for him, this is real now. And he wrestled through questions. He's still got questions. We all do. But it's coming to this place of saying, do I believe? I love what John chapter one says this. Uh, Jesus came to his own, his own did not receive him. Verse 12 says this, yet to all who do receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become a child of God. It's believing in what Jesus did, receiving it as a gift. Uh, you don't get a Christmas gift until you take it, right? Otherwise, it just sits under the tree. But you snag him. I've seen you. You rip it open, you receive it. And it's this idea of I believe in what Jesus did, and I want him to be a part of my life. And now, I, based on what he did, and what he continues to do. I've got life with God. And for Lee, in the book, what you see is all the, the interviews he did with people. In fact, we're gonna look at a few of those next week as we, look, as we look at the credibility of the resurrection for Easter. And I encourage you to come back for that. Here's my encouragement to you simply this week. If you've been a believer for a long time, then the friendships you have, the direction and the trajectory of, of life that people that, are, that you care about, it matters to God. And he is already at work behind the scenes in their life. Much like this Ethiopian story in Acts chapter eight, long before Philip showed up, God was already at work. Philip shows up, he has this conversation, he connects some dots. The light bulb comes on, in fact, the story goes on that they come up upon this body of water and the Ethiopian says, stop the chariot. Uh, what's to stop me from getting baptized right now? Well, nothing, I want Jesus. And so they go down, he's baptized, uh, Philip's carried away and he returns home, this Ethiopian returns, full rejoicing. I've found life with God through Jesus. For him, it connected. The sticking point was overcome. And so maybe it's praying for your friends that some of the sticking points they have would be overcome. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, I got invited here and man, I think it's awesome that you're here. We, we love having you here. In fact, we want this to be a place where you don't have to be part of the convinced to belong. That, that you can take your journey because we're all on one of investigating those next steps about who Jesus is, about what he has to say about life, about what he has to say about your life. And maybe, just maybe, a simple prayer for you this week is, God, the best I know how, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kinda turn in your direction. And would you help me to see that maybe you're already turned in mine? We're gonna continue on our service 
with a time of communion. We do this every week, kind of offer a space and an opportunity for you to do that. So maybe wrestle with something that's going on in your heart. Maybe it was some of the words that you sang in worship. Maybe it was something that we're looking at here tonight. Uh, you don't have to. You're welcome to sit back and, and be our guest. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is kind of a remembrance for us to remember that it was Jesus' body broken, given on your behalf. It was his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, my sins. And as we make our way toward Good Friday and throughout Holy Week here, as we make our way ultimately to Easter, we want to lean into this moment and ask God to be active in speaking into your life this week. And then we're going to continue on in worship. I'll share a couple things at the end, but we're thrilled to have you here. And I hope that somewhere along this line, whether you've got a sticking point or some friends do, that God will help you work your way through those and his pace and his time. So Father, we pray. We thank you for stories like Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch, that stories of, of people searching for faith and that you never miss out. That God, you're a God who searches for us first and foremost and you love to meet a searching heart at right the spot that they need. And Father, for any that are gathered here tonight, I pray if they're at those places of searching, I pray that you would surprise them this week, meeting them on their turf, at their questions. Not that every answer is gonna get answered immediately, but some of those longings of the heart will be ignited. Light bulbs will begin to come on connecting the dots will begin to happen. I pray that you would raise up your church in our city and around our country and the world to be safe places for people to wrestle with faith, to be open and turn in your direction and to be surprised again that you have always been turned in theirs. So as we remember in communion, Jesus, your body broken, your blood shed. Would you encourage our hearts in these next couple songs? Would you stir us afresh and anew? We pray that in Jesus' name.